Alright, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got Trunk Fan here, lead writer at the hustle, Elon Musk's best friend, and a lot of people's best friend right now on Twitter. What's oh, yeah. going on, Trunk? I'm good, brother. And uh, we, also, we also got Jack Butcher, NFT King, working on the metaverse. What's happening, dude? I'm good, mate. How, how is everybody today? Go on, Trunk. You might have to tee this up because it's been day. a crazy few days for us. Uh, Jack knows as a as a new father, but man, just your kid, just my kid's three and a half years old. I thought he was past like shitty sleeps, but it just never ends, right? They basically every time a kid has a new development milestone, it just messes up their sleep schedule. And I, I just I know each one that happens, right? Is like uh and the latest one that happened with my kid is he he busted me and my wife going out to dinner one night. We had a date lined up a couple of weeks ago and he sniffed it out. He's like, my sister was here. So he's like, well, what's she doing here? Is she going to like be here to babysit or whatever? And like, we're about to go out to dinner and he wakes up. He, he knew something was up. So we're literally about to leave the door and he comes banging out the room and like bawling his eyes out. And he's like, oh, he's, and, and, and we're like, okay, listen, we, we, we should have told you like my sister's babysitting. He's like not having any of it, right? So ever since then, that was like three, four weeks ago, He's been waking up in the middle of the night, going outside to make sure we're around, bro. These kids so like how old is how old is he trunk? Three and a half almost. So like mm. the re- so the reason I bring it up is I'm actually super wired right now. It's because I basically had this entire thing of cold brew because my kid was up at three a.m. <laughs> Looks like a milk con. <laughs> no, dude, was. I just it's have so these big. in my fridge for days like this. Where like my kid wakes up in the middle of the night and I know my, my the rest of my day is going to be completely jacked up. So I just got so caffeinated up until like one and then crash so hard around two or three. So let's, let's milk it, man. I'm caffeinated as F right now. And I ate coffee coming soon, man. We can't be, oh, that's, yeah. a, that's oh a missed opportunity there right now. Why um, the drip? Well, Jack, drip, exactly. <laughs> um, so look, we got to start off. There's only one place to start off because we're recording this just before the finals of the Euros. The last time we spoke about England, bringing it home. And uh, Jack, how are you feeling today, mate? Because it's, it's the day after we just qualified for the, for the finals. It's just euphoric. It's hard to Isn't describe, it? mate. It's, it's otherworldly. Hold on. How badly do you guys wish you were in England right now? I'd, very very badly yeah i have to say i definitely i, I definitely looked at flights this morning i was <laughs> oh are you serious <laughs> no i mean i looked at it but i mean the truth i've been waiting to go home f- since the pandemic like i haven't gone home still and uh I- i'm waiting for the regulations to go away and if i went right now i'd be in quarantine for five or ten days so it wouldn't make any sense anyway but man it was well it so was tell me incredible. about these group chats you're in how many different group chats with your buddies from back home are you in seriously each of you how many i got two main ones university lads and then the boys i went to uh secondary school with and what about yeah. what are you Bula? yeah i probably got a similar i've got like the uni friends college for me which is like sixth form college so it's like high school and then there's also like a kind of little mini google crew that are in how, london how strange is it that they're all getting hammered hammered <laughs> is everybody just getting 
Are you are you listening? Are you looking at these message uh, uh, chats and just like you could tell people are getting drunker and drunker? Like the, the <laughs> comments are getting more and more obscene. Well, the memes and, like, get the crazier memes. and crazier as well because they start off with like funny, playful memes, and by the by like two a.m., I'm like, oh, this is getting deep even for me, and I'm like, oh, this is this is touching enough. But yeah, it's it's been. Uh, did, you, did you guys have a couple of drinks? Are you guys having drinks? Not yesterday, because I've been. I watched it at home, but this weekend I'll be. I definitely be out to watch it, man. It's gonna be. I mean, look, the, we don't want to speak the whole time about it, but man, like it feels so good. It's the first time we've been in the final since 1966, I think. So uh, way before both of us. Man, you know those articles, uh, things that didn't exist uh, in 1960 uh, in the last time that England was in a major final is coming up. Yeah. You know, what shit coins didn't exist in 1966? <laughs> the euro didn't the euro. exist. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the the non-gold pegged currency world oh, <laughs> didn't oh, exist. You know, like bro, you know that tweet? That tweet's going out, bro. Yeah, live in the flesh. But yeah, the one thing I will say, yeah, I mean, Italy, a uh, strong team, but like, you know, we're at home, so... I mean, I don't know, man. Hold By on, the time this think... comes out, we'll know if we won or not. So either way, it's, it's been a big few days. I'm definitely stealing that tweet so people can steal it and see it in real time. Shit coins that didn't exist in 1966. And then I'll put like uh, Dogecoin, Shibu, the euro. <laughs> <laughs> and the euro. Yeah. That's class. Now everyone will know. You could, I mean, obviously, Trung is is the king of Twitter right now. But once in a while, no, when I get a little ghost written tweet that comes out from a group chat, I feel very proud. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, bro. Well, dude, um, everybody can everybody can be in on this joke when it happens. That's it. So listen, man. Talking of talking of that. So yeah, we'll wish us luck, everyone who's listening. We'll know by the time this comes out. But um, we, let's let's move on. So today we're going to talk about. Andy Jassy, who's, I don't even know how to say this dude's name. I hope I'm saying it right. Um, like last time when I was talking about, uh, what was that, Quinn P- Matic, I was calling it for Matic. an hour, like the footballer. <laughs> and it's actually Matic. But anyway, Andy Jassy's took, taken over at Amazon. Uh, we've got some follow-up from last time. Uh, Trying's going to break down the people that have launched from Joe Rogan. We're going to talk about some of the best ad campaigns ever um, and the longest ad campaign running ever which is absolute and then we got some merch updates and edge of the internet stuff as well so let's just kick it off man because trunk we in our group chat we were talking about andy jassy taking over from jeff bezos now again the richest man in the world is is, is uh, wealth has gone up to 211 billion dollars which is mental um but yeah well, it, it kind of got us chatting about our first days at work and you yeah, said you so had we'll a crazy story let's talk about story. andy jassy a bit so Andy Jassy uh, used to run Amazon Web Services, uh, which is the cloud computing uh, division of Amazon. So the, it does $55 billion a year, I think, in 2020. And it's still growing about 40 50%, which is just bonkers, right? If you actually put uh, like a SaaS multiple on that company, called 40 50 times revenue. Actually, you don't know what SaaS is right now. People call it 30 40. That's a $2 trillion company on its own, right? And, it's not uh, like you work for one and have a stock in HubSpot yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> no, exactly, right? Well, exactly. Um, so that well, that's the joke that uh, I, I, I was just memeing dumb Andy Jassy jokes. But like uh, one that I did, it was just pretty funny, was, uh, you know, he used to work for a $2 trillion company, Amazon Web Services. And now he works for Amazon, which is only worth $1.7 And it's like, <laughs> what's the big lesson? Like leadership requires sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> No, but what's so funny, dude, this guy's on the job for two days. 
His first day at CEO, uh, as CEO, Amazon's market cap goes up by 100 billion. I would just quit. If I'm Andy Jassy, I'm like, done. Bro, I'm out. Who's next? I Isn't it like the opposite of Steve Ballmer when he left oh, yeah. and it like went up? No, it was flat for 15 years. <laughs> Jassy goes on the job. It's up 100 billion on the first day. Uh, it probably had to do with the fact that uh, the US government actually is giving them another shot at this big uh, Defense Department cloud contract called Jedi. But uh, I just want to have some quick notes about Jassy. So the Wall Street Journal had a great article about him. So he ran... Amazon Web Services, which is basically the engine for the company now. And so it's not really a big surprise that he's the CEO, but he, so internally they describe Jassy as like the most Jeff Bezos-like individual, right? So like Amazon has an internal uh, executive team called the S-Team. And over the past few decades, everybody's like, anyone that's gone through the S-Team, like Andy Jassy is like the closest to Bezos uh, in terms of like in terms of how he thinks about the company, his temperament is apparently is a lot uh, different. Bezos is a total asshole. If you read uh, the new book by Brad Stone about Amazon, it's just dozens of anecdotes about Bezos just being the biggest douchebag ever, which isn't which isn't surprising. But apparently, Andy Jassy is really nice. He he one of his go to phrases is the word "nice" in emails. And uh, uh, but uh, the last anecdote I'll add, I'll, I'll add about Amazon Web Services is uh, internally. I mean, I want to know if Bilal has any thoughts on this is uh, when they bring people in for meetings, they have something called like the, the wheel of death where they just randomly select uh, somebody in the meeting and, and they have them give like information about their department. Did this ever happen at Google, dude? Like, no, a that sounds like the in? opposite. No, I mean, I think the, the cultures are so different, right? Like everyone at Google is like super nice and trying to be all extra inclusive. And I think someone would be like, Oh, they put this triggered me or whatever. So I don't know. If that, I don't know if that would work. You don't Google, think the man. yeah, the wheel of death is uh, <laughs> is consistent? <laughs> They'll come up with say, some man. ridiculous. But you names. can do it on all different colors, though. Like uh, yeah. in the Google colors, <laughs> yeah. the design of Jack. Too, actually. It's actually a really. I mean, it, uh, objectively, it's a brilliant move, right? It's the only way to keep everybody accountable. It's, it's like how Harvard Business School actually does. Uh, you know, Harvard Business School has a case study method where everybody has to read like this 30 page uh, uh, study and then come in with ideas because a teacher like selects them at random. So if you don't have an opinion, like you fucking lose yeah, all you your Yeah, you get points. called out. I, I just got, I just got fined for swearing, but uh, it's not a shocker. <laughs> Andy Jassy is a Harvard Business School graduate. So there you go, man. That's, that's I saw all you, my you were writing about this, about the MBAs taking over, right? Because of people, especially in tech, kind of shit on MBAs a lot of the time. And oh, dude, so... Uh, all of the top Andy Jassy, CEOs, a lot Harvard of, a lot Business of School, movies. CEO of Amazon. Uh, uh, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, is Chicago MBA. Um, Sundar Pichai is a Wharton MBA and uh, CEO of Google, obviously. And uh, and who what was the other one? Apple. Yeah, Tim Cook is a Duke MBA. And then uh, Mark Zuckerberg is not an MBA. But uh, the joke was, uh, he, he once said, I want to fuck the Winklevoss twins in the ears. So that's some <laughs> shit MBAs would say. I can't be fine for that because that's a quote. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, all right, so Trung, but yeah, thanks for the background on Jassy. Actually, one question on that, because you probably know a bit more about this. I've heard anecdotally that Amazon's web services is basically the only, you know, that's the profit center of the company, right? Because the margin's actually there versus the crazy margins of retail and they and for years they didn't make a profit by purpose because they were just trying to grow 
Like, do you know much about that? Because there's talk that if they did get spun out, like you said, they would just be worth even more. And like everyone who holds Amazon stock would actually be kind of happy about that. Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment for sure, where they would probably be richer uh, if it was a standalone, because it, it, to your point, it contributes 60%, I think, about the operating profits at Amazon, even though its revenue is... You say 10, 60, 15, 60, 60, operating profits. Oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and but it's only about ten to fifteen percent of the top line. Uh, but the other, actually, the big business, the one that couldn't be separated, which is minting money for Amazon, which is like eighty percent margins, is that ad business because they just stuck yeah, the ad business mad. on top of retail, right? And that's doing about twenty billion a year. But uh, yeah, so I think the 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 bigger thing you mentioned was the first uh, days on the job stories. I think it's funny because so Andy Jassy obviously had a first day on the job increased the market cap of Amazon by a hundred billion. So I wanted to talk about my first days on the job for an internship I had with Scotia Bank. I'm sure it was very similar, Trunk. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me give some background here. We're gonna we're gonna pull up some emails because you guys are gonna laugh. I gotta see if I can set up this joke well. So Scotia Bank is one of Canada's three big uh, main uh, four big banks. I, I don't remember. But there's four big banks in Canada. Scotia Bank actually is where Elon Musk had an early internship in the mid 90s. So if you Google Elon Musk, Scotiabank is one of his first internships. And he was so aghast at how finance was done back in the day and how uh, bureaucratic filled these institutions were that his experience at Scotia actually was one of the reasons why he ended up doing PayPal. He's like, these guys are dinosaurs, right? He apparently went in to his boss and had like a amazing trade that was guaranteed to make money. And in hindsight, it did. And they told him, hey, sorry, you got to kick that up like 30 levels if we're going to do that. But anyways, the reason why <laughs> I bring this up is this. Can I share a screen? Yeah, yeah, you should be able to share. Go on. All right. Well, I don't want to totally out this guy, but uh, I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah, you guys won't be able to see this. Okay, here we go. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> this is funny. Actually, uh, I'll do this. I'll share the screen. All right, this is so. So I'm on an internship for corporate banking, which is basically just lend money to uh, to corporates instead of individuals. And uh, I mean, I probably can't show all this actually, but whatever, we'll blank some of it out. So the thing is this, banking internships are a joke, right? When you start as a bank intern, all that's happening is that they're just making you do shit work, right? You're filling in Excel files. And this is the way the whole thing works. All the managing directors had to do it when they started the business. So in their head, they're like, listen, we're just going to pass along this ridiculous, like a practice of just filling in data sheets, right? And uh, liquidity, the uh, the meme account, just makes fun of this nonstop, right? It was hilarious. So I knew I was going to get this shit work, but whatever. Uh, I, I, and... I was, I'm a total idiot, right? Like I, this is a job you go to the office for. Like you can tell I'm not an office guy. Like I hate the office. I'm, a, I'm allergic to the office. So basically on like my second or third day at the job, uh, I knew I was going to get a dumbass request to do some data entry <laughs> and I get the request. And the guy goes, he emails me and he goes, uh, you're probably going to blank out his name or maybe we don't end up showing this, but the email I get asks, hey man, can you check the, the U.S. Census Bureau and tell me the population of Canada for 2013? I'm like, first of all, bro, you can Google this. You don't need to ask me to do this. It's so obvious what you're doing. You're, you, you have no other job to give me because all of this is bullshit work. So you're asking me 
to Google something that you could have done. It would have taken you less time to find out what the population of Canada was if you Googled yourself. So I'm triggered. I'm fucking pissed right now. I'm like, this dumbass request just came across my plate. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll do it. It's my job. So I, I reply to him and I go, hey, man. <laughs> I go to him. I go, this is the joke. I go, hey, man, is the onion a reliable source? According to them, there are 33,476,000 uh, uh, Canadians in, in 2013. And obviously, it's a joke. The Onion is not a real publication. It's a, it's a, it's a joke publication. But clearly, this is where the, the real joke comes in. The guy goes, the guy replies, hey, man, don't even show this because I can't even pull up. He goes, hey, dude, uh, is The Onion a real source? Why are you going to agricultural media sources for this information? So this idiot doesn't even know what the onion is. Agricultural. <laughs> yeah. He goes, bro. So, all right. so to summarize, I go to my second or third day on the job at Scotiabank, an office job. It was my last office job ever. I never, ever have suited up and gone into an office wearing a suit. And on the third or second or third day, unlike Annie Jassy, who added $100 billion in market cap, I was asked to discover the population of Canada in 2013. These are the jobs that are being tasked to people. And I tell this guy, <laughs> it's 33 million. The source is the onion. And him not getting the joke, he goes, hey, man, what is this? I've never heard of this source. <laughs> Why are you I love how me? like you've been trolling since for the same trunk. We all know. <laughs> we all know you've been doing it since your first job. Well, dude, that's when I knew that the job wasn't for me. When the guy didn't know what the this onion is, was. This is how you're getting uh, a trillion percent APR in DeFi, cutting out <laughs> all of these emails. Exactly, right? Anyways, that's it, man. That's my long-winded uh, way of saying that uh, I'm not meant for the office. Well, let Jack, me ask you guys. Jack, you, have you ever had to wear a suit to the office? Not pictures and stuff when I was working in advertising, yeah. To how much did you hate it? Again. How much do you hate I, it? Oh, yeah, I hate it, man. Like, uh, Celia tells me every time I put, even when we go to a wedding or something, she's like, why are you acting so strange? <laughs> That's like, so I can't funny. Wear, I can't wear a suit. Bro, do you like have like one, collar. do you have like one like really expensive suit that you just wear? My wedding suit, yeah, that's it. Okay. I just wear that to everything. What about you, Bilal? Tell me about so, your I mean, suit so I, I actually did an internship at Citibank back in the day as well. So uh, not. Did you ever get asked about the population of the <laughs> UK? No, but it was the most. I mean, I was like, why are they using fax machines? Like, what the hell is this? What's going Bro. on here? And then well, one thing I will say is, though, for my Google, in it's kind of embarrassing, but like, whatever. Um, for my Google interview, I, I knew like nothing about the work culture. Yeah, like I, I knew about the company I, and I, I turned up and I'm like, they're like, what's the future of Google look like? I'm like, Chrome OS and all this shit. Like the people interviewing <laughs> me didn't know anything about because I like knew about that world, but I didn't know that everyone wears their own clothes. So I turned up in a suit and tie for my interview, which is kind of oh a bit of a red flag, right? Like bro. you're like, oh, you didn't even read the page. Like, <laughs> so, showed, hold on, yeah, what yeah, year was, was this? 2009. Um, you showed up at yeah, an yeah. interview at Google <laughs> yeah. in a suit and tie yeah, in 2009? Was, yeah, it was crazy. Bro, yeah, it's funny. That is, I mean, I got a job, to be fair. but <laughs> Hold on um, a second, man. Okay, yeah, hold on. Jack, I need you to roast him a second. You need to roast him. <laughs> Don't, Can you I roast have to him? Say, the other thing is, like, if I did that interview now, <laughs> I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have got a job based on me not doing the research and now as you guys know this is a funny thing between us like we obviously prepare for the podcast i'm pretty 
well prepared now, yeah, 10, 12 years later. But if you saw me as a student, I was like super last minute. Uh, I'm still pretty last minute, but I at least like prepare. No, but, but dude, I, I just, hold on a second. I just so. can't get over the fact that you wore a suit and tie <laughs> to a freaking I know, Google maybe, meeting. I was walking maybe around. Maybe like, was everyone's pretty, yeah, they were like, oh, at least he's making an effort. Oh, but, actually, no. Jack, wait, I think Jack nailed it. They must think you're, he, so your, your joke is just, just as good like as my so onion meta, joke. So many that's layers it, above. That's it. They must have <laughs> thought I was playing 4D chess and I like was playing chess. Isn't isn't the tuxedo. You show up in a tuxedo. Yeah, so you... <laughs> Yeah, dude, actually, you must have stood out so much. They must have had a thousand candidates for that job. And they're like, guys, what do you think about the candidates? Yo, so this dude, Bilal, hilarious guy, comes in wearing a Brooks Brothers suit. That was, that was fun. And then I will say on the first week, uh, obviously by then, like I'd done enough research. I, and then um, there's a famous story that my friend Pete, who's actually moving here, I've known him since my first Nugler week, as we call it. Um, he's this, this Canadian guy. Um, and he basically tells her, he told everyone at his wedding recently, we were in his, his wedding in Italy. And he basically said that when I first met Bilal at Google, I thought he was a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, oh again, I don't. And, he, and, he, and he's like, it's semi-racist because I, I came from like the Dude. I had a proper East London accent, brown guy. But I have to admit, I, I turned up with a BlackBerry, right? Like, because it was two, it was January 2010. I'm like pinging away, like on my BlackBerry. And apparently, I used to use this Vix. Like, no, do you guys have Vix here? It's like the sniffing stuff, the yeah. sniffing stuff, right? So I used to have a, a block. No, so I was like constantly sniffing this in our training, and he would just look over and he's like, "Why is that guy like?" Yo, bro, we need more. We need minutes. more Bilal Google stories, bro. <laughs> Yo, dude, you've been shortchanging yourself. No, These that are was cool funny. Stories. That was, that Actually, was a funny I have time. a quick my my last heuristic that I'll put before we move on to real media stuff is a. Uh, the thing I've always used, not for myself, because I'm not involved in that trade, but if I'm ever at a club or bar and my friend's like, hey, man, you know like where I can get some party favors? I'm like, listen, not for me. However, if that's really what you're looking for, look for people wearing flower pattern shirts. That should get you where you're looking for. And no, and I, I swear to God. It okay, always works. Me, I point people in that direction. It's just an intuition I have. And it's like 10 out of 10 hit rate. It's like a perfect hit rate. If some dude's wearing a floral pattern shirt, he either himself is dealing or knows someone that does deal. (laughs) The Miami Vice all the way down. Seriously, bro. Anyways, that's 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 it. That's my heuristic. Not personal anecdote or friend's anecdote, but you guys can do that what you want. Not life advice. Not life advice. Yeah, definitely not life advice. Definitely investment advice. All right. um, That was funny, man. Um, all right, well, let's move on. Was there anything else? Uh, Jack, did you have any other other ones from your early days no, there? I got first day work stories, but they're going to be long. So let's move on. <laughs> okay, Should we'll we save, save one for one. next time? We'll save it for yeah, next sure. one. Then. I love right, it. Nice I one. think we covered the suits. I think we covered the suit thing real yeah, well. That That's funny. great, man. All right, cool. So um, let's talk a little bit about Joe Rogan and the kind of the people he launched. Because we talked, it, it came up in the last episode and uh, Trunk said he was going to do a little research and we can chat a little bit more about that. I, uh, it wasn't a ton of research. It was just basically looking at my Stitcher app and seeing which ones I had saved on my phone. But I think, I think Joe Rogan launched Jocko Willink, Eric Weinstein, uh, Lex Friedman, Jordan Peterson. And what was the other name I had there? 
uh, Weinstein brothers, you said. Yeah, though. Oh, Brett Weinstein. So five. Dude, this guy literally, I mean, I mean, they remember when people talk about the intellectual dark web. I mean, he was basically seeding those individuals. Uh, not to say that he necessarily agreed with everything they said or that even the intellectual dark web. Uh, for those that don't know, that was basically a descriptive term for the people I mentioned and guys like uh, Sam Harris. But now they actually don't kind of go together. And there's been a lot of disagreement within these individuals. Think but boys, guys, right, Trump? Yeah, think boys. Ultimate think boys. But yeah, man, Rogan basically going on his podcast led to all these individuals, his careers just they all blew up. The roof. Blew up, man. I will say like Jocko, I think was also partly Joe Rogan and then like Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss. he also says yeah. as well. And yeah. uh, But no, I guess the, the bigger point here is like so many people didn't understand I actually listened to an episode of Joe Rogan uh, being interviewed like a few days ago. He doesn't do many of those. And um, like he, they, everyone assumed that when he would go to Spotify, he'd become smaller in a way because lots of people just drop off. Yeah. Right. But he said that so many people that were just in traditional media would, and, and like in the traditional world, finally took him as like, uh, oh, th who the hell is this guy at that level? And, uh, you know, people like us who might follow it a little bit closely, we already know the scale and the impact he was having. But he said the actual big changing point was when it was in Forbes because they, because money talks. So like when yeah. people heard 100 to 200 million, people were like, oh, wow, this is as big a deal. Who interviewed him? I got to listen to this. It was um, Saga and uh, this this lady who, they, they're like this political duo. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're huge, man. Saga uh, and something. They, uh, what's his name? Uh, they were Balaji. part of the hill, I think. And no, then Balaji, uh, Balaji tweeted something where that podcast you mentioned uh, jumped over the New York Times Daily podcast, which is that, massive. That's it. And he called it the flippening. Now, we have to mention <laughs> Balaji once a day here, bro, once. or once a podcast. <laughs> so this, this, this podcast you mentioned, that I don't even know the name of, but I know exactly how big it is. Because, I mean, it goes back to what Jack talked about last week, right? There's all these different fractured media diets now. But this, this group now has kind of broken out. And this, these two hosts, I got to listen to that, man. That's well, amazing. Well, actually, I'd say that they, they really blew up with Joe Rogan too because they were part of another bigger media company and they wanted to leave, but they were kind of scared. And Joe was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going to help promote you, oh, obviously. Oh, my God. And, um, and what I will say, I don't know their show that well, but it's basically one, The I forgot the woman's name, but she's more left-leaning saga. I think the other guy's name is, he's more right-leaning. But their whole point is nuanced discussions yeah. and like they're trying to be objective about stuff. And oh, that's so I've only heard a couple episodes, massive. but I've, it's, it's, it's similar to like what people like about Joe's podcast that he has people on the left, people on the right. But I think the mainstream media paints him more right than he probably actually is. So, well, hold on. Uh, let me add this about Joe. I found this out reading. So to your point, he's kind of been more mainstream. New York Times has wrote a long piece on him. Uh, and and they, I mean, obviously they kind of wrote it in an asshole way, like describing him like as this, like you said, right? Like this guy with crazy quacky ideas. I'm like, dude, kick rocks, man. Uh, but anyways, they brought up something that I didn't realize this. So this kind of blew me away, even though it made total sense. But he has his own tab in in Spotify, right? Like you look at all the different categories, like R&B music, like podcast as an entire category or country as an entire category. And then it goes Joe Rogan. And I'm like, dude, that I didn't, massive. I didn't realize that you think about that, right? That's huge. Mm. I um, have to say I was, I, I have been a huge Joe Rogan fan, especially doing my own podcast before. And as soon as he went on Spotify, I just stopped like listening to as many. Cause I just oh, don't yeah, go I to Spotify for yeah. actually. And, but yesterday I listened to the first time in ages with, um, Quentin Chappelle? Tarantino was on it. 
Oh, no, I, I listened yeah, to Chappelle, I get Chappelle actually, but yeah, um, Tarantino's on it, which was amazing because I was like, man, this is three hours with one of the genius directors of our time. Oh, like, it's it's pretty incredible, man. Um, but and actually, one other thing I'm going to add on Joe Rogan um, is there's a guy called Andrew Schultz. Have you guys heard of him? He's a comedian. Uh, you've mentioned before he's a com- he's a comedian. He's a that comedian. Really cracked uh, the internet. Did humor, you right? exactly? And he would say himself like it was Charlemagne first, who he does a podcast with. That really put him out there. And then Joe Rogan blew him up. And now he's got the top five or 10 uh, Patreon in the world across all categories. It's the number one uh, comedy Patreon. I will say if anyone hasn't heard of him or watches his stuff, his comedy is like as flagrant as it gets. Like his whole style is what's something we're not supposed to laugh about. And I'm going to find a way to make it funny. Uh, But like I think him and his little crew are a great example because they're completely independent uh, well, they've done deals with like Netflix and stuff, but now on their own terms. And um, he's someone who isn't an intellectual think boy. He's like, you know, someone who's a creative, who's become like a superstar podcaster. And, uh, you know, he sells out world tours on comedy now as well. So, man, like Joe Rogan is the, he's building the all these me. people he's up. He's the kingmaker. 100%. Um, all right. Anything else on that, Jack? Do you have any thoughts on that, mate, before we, we talk about ad campaigns which i think you definitely no, know well, i about. think jack wanted to use this as a springboard into uh, his uh edge yeah, of yeah good point yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say this name that we have in the document we'll wait until we have a little bit more of a formal announcement but the idea uh that like a person is now a company or a person is a business or a person is just like a media entity in the same way that joe rogan is getting paid to launch products I can't remember where I read this, but it's like, if you're going to pay for a slot on the Joe Rogan podcast, like make sure your hosting for your website is beefed up because people are just going to absolutely destroy it. The traffic you're going to get is crazy. Uh, In the same way, like it feels like Joe Rogan having a stake in the growth of, you know, if he discovers a little comedian, for example, and wants to give him part of the platform, like it's, it's way more aligned with what his audience are there to listen to. And you don't have to sit through like six minutes of ads, right? It's like, how can I borrow Joe Rogan's platform and Joe Rogan get some upside from, you know, uh, telling my story or or getting my story out there. So it feels like maybe because he's with Spotify now, that's less likely to happen, but that does feel like a, you know, a change in tide of sorts, the same way, like we talked about the Jay-Z, ethereum stuff like ownership of um you're not necessarily going to have to monetize through just through like selling product like you know comedians and people have to sell like merch and tickets and all of that stuff but if they're like valuable entities unto themselves like imagine if joe rogan had one percent of the upside of jordan peterson over the course of his career it's a crazy thought, right? And yeah, that, it's like me, how music like that. as well used to have that, right? Like, I mean, Jay-Z comes through, then he got he gets Rockefeller Records, or I don't know the full story yeah. there, but, and then Kanye comes through, then Kanye has his thing, Eminem comes through and he gets 50 Cent. So it's, um, though I guess there's two counter trends here. One is where we're getting rid of those middlemen altogether to a certain extent, but then there's this other trend coming, which is like, oh, I can actually get upside if the incentives align. And uh, yeah, that's it's quite like, an interesting way of doing it. It's like a, it's a real nuanced difference between like just being a rent seeker and being a like actual asset to the other half of the transaction. So I read this thing a couple of days ago where 
for every dollar of upside a musician creates today, label captures 88 cents of it. Crazy. So they get paid 12 cents on the dollar for their music. And you can make the argument that, you know, labels can get them on the radio and get them to book tours and all of that kind of stuff. But when you get to like a Jay-Z scale or, you know, when you're at that level, the... I don't know. Maybe there, there's still some probably bureaucratic cost and, you know, there's things that you have to do. But a lot of these big artists have been like beating this drum for a long time, right? That labels are just skimming way too much off the top. Yeah, like an admin fee, essentially. Like if you think an admin fee in traditional terms is like 20, 30 percent normally, right? Like, right. And that's maybe on the high end, like sometimes just a 5, 10 percent processing fee, which is slightly different. So there's still obviously some like admin going on like if you want to just bucket into that but it's different to we were just talking about this a few days ago actually like music in the 90s right like there was the only way you'd get that out is you need to have the relationship with the radio needs to be playing on there and then eventually like needs to be on mtv all that sort of stuff and now it's like 90 percent of it 95 percent of it is, is coming probably just from streaming and youtube um of course there's still radio going on in the background but it's like digital radio and stuff like that too so it's like most it's, i see the biggest parallel with books as well so like if you i don't know if you've ever spoken to an author or know the numbers behind selling a book but if you go in a traditional model with a publishing company you make a tiny percentage of the dollar as well right like it might even be five to ten percent in royalty and you know like um trung like your co-worker what's that steph steph smith she'd sold like a book directly online to people who most people don't even know who she is. And she probably made a decent, she probably made she as made much as- She made over 100 grand. She made ex six. Exactly. Crazy. Which is more than most authors make, honestly, because uh, yeah. uh, like obviously the big ones can make a lot of money. And, and this is assuming the objective is to make money. Of course, there's other reasons to write a book, but there's just that parallel it, that those two industries are still going through it. There isn't really a streaming direct way of doing it for books yet like yeah there's kindle there's self-published but the, it's not at the scale where uh, like the big ones are doing that they're still working with those publishing houses from what i can see and uh, just one anecdote is i worked on a in a previous job um we launched what became a new york times best-selling book and you'll just knowing like how it works from the back end and it's it's not like it's completely gamed but you need to play the game you need to hire the people who what are going to can you can you are you at, are you privy to talk about what some of those things are i mean i could share some of the tactics cuz it's not like illegal it's just yeah, like hit uh, us hit us what were yeah, the tactics I mean, so some of the tactics there's all these rules around but basically new york times bestsellers list from what i understand and i'm not an expert is it's not based on who sells the most books like that's one part of the algorithm or the computation, right? The other part, like for example, Jordan Peterson, who you just said, his books oh, are on New York Times. Oh, he didn't make it, yeah. That's he right. He sold a million books. Right? Like, yep. And I know people have sold 30,000, 50,000 books, which is already quite a lot for books, and they make it on this, the best sales list. That's one part. The second thing is, at the time when we worked on it, uh, or when I saw what was going on, um, they didn't count Amazon book sales the same way they counted like a book in, in store. Right. And you would basically work with an agency or like an outsourced consultant who would, you'd, you'd have like six months of pre-orders. We would get all my company partners were buying it for their employees and stuff like that. And, and that's Bruh. all good. Like that's <laughs> smart, right? But it's, but like that goes towards the pre-orders and the way it works is those, um, 
those like outside consultants, they work on distributing it in a way that the maximum amount get counted towards the pre-selling book number or whatever. So again, it's not like wrong. It's just, if you're just an individual trying to figure this out, like you're not going to probably figure it out on your own. So you need to work with someone who knows what, what was the doing. exact reason why Peterson didn't get on the list. It's I, definitely think technicality. Just, I, I don't know the real reason. Uh, and I don't know if they've ever said it, but I think it's just because he as an individual has been like controversial and echoes. Oh, right. I, I understand why they did. I'm oh. wondering what, what reason they used to oh, what that they said. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. They just say we've got our Pro own. Probably some editorial. bullshit. <laughs> yeah, probably some bullshit. Exactly. So anyway, it just made me realize the punchline is like all these lists, I, I don't value them as much as I might have done like five, yeah. 10 years ago. It's like Forbes 30 under 30. It's like, all right, once you know how that works as well, it's like, okay, there's no point worrying about it. Let me, uh, let me add stupid uh, games, win stupid prizes. There we go. Exactly. Let me circle Simplified. back quickly on the, uh, <laughs> the Jay-Z artist ownership thing. Somebody had a really great thread. I got to, I got to figure out, uh, I don't have the name here, but he was piecing together all the parts of the Twitter square title kind of triumvirate. Right. And he's like, so a day before it was announced that uh, Square was acquiring title, the music streaming service that uh, Jay-Z owned, uh, Square actually launched a bank, right? A bank service. And basically he's piecing it all together. He's like, okay, this is what Jack Dorsey has put in place. Square has a bank, Square has a cash app, uh, uh, which is already heavily used by the hip hop community to interact with fans, right? To gift fans, it's really used for viral growth. And then Twitter has this super follow feature now where you can pay for extra content. And uh, and Jack Dorsey's trying to add all these creator-friendly tools, right? Like newsletters, spaces, uh, anything to help lock in uh, the value or create more value for creators on Twitter. Because obviously he's done dick and they've captured zero value, which we've talked about Twitter. Uh, so, how this all looks now is that if you're an artist and you get into this square Twitter ecosystem, it's actually really smart. It's like, so you can promote your stuff on Twitter like crazy. Right. And you can uh, host the music on title. And now to you guys, this point is like, so label used to front a lot of money and then take whatever 80, 90% of the, uh, the uh, upside. So Square has a bank now and it can do creator specific lending because it has all the analytics from title about how well the music will do. So it will front you that money. And now you've turned the music industry into like essentially like a mortgage, right? It's like, that's you know, amazing. Right. It's like, you know, you can, you can quantify, maybe it's, it's going to be riskier certainly than a mortgage uh, in a lot of ways. But now instead of taking 80, 90 cents on the dollar square bank can lend to artists and be like, listen, we will end up, whatever the interest being, you'll end up get, keeping 80 cents on the dollar, which is way better than the deals you'll have now. And you have all the tools you'll need within our ecosystem, right? And uh, and if you need any more reason to do it, Jay-Z's on the board of Square. So like, there you go. Well, Trunk, that's a gr I didn't think of it like that. And the, the really cool thing there is I'm seeing, and I'm seeing some smart like technology people doing this, it's taking like these old scores, essentially, like in what you described is a credit score, right? Like, like old school, yeah. you would have a credit and score, which is based on you're a niche by niche. Exactly. Whereas now, instead of like, say I'm an artist and I want to like raise money to fund a tour or whatever, or whatever you're going to do. Previously, you go to a bank, they're going to say, who are you? What's your credit history? All that stuff. Instead, these guys can say, click this button 
we're just going to analyze and on the spot tell you how much we can afford to give you or not. And I've seen there's a company called Tala, T-A-L-A. Um, I was supposed to have the founder on my podcast. And what they do is pretty cool. They do this for the developing world where um, you press a button because most people there don't have bank accounts in like, let's say Africa, but they have mobile phones and they'll press a button. Yeah. And within a minute, it analyzes everything on your phone. And it will be like, um, how organized are, like, there's thousands of variables, but one of the ones they found is how you save people's names in your phone. And Amazing. it's like people who write their first name and last name, they ended up paying back their credit uh, in a right. much better well, way. Actually, or so M Pesa in Kenya is kind of yeah. leading, right? You have a lot of a lot of listeners that haven't heard M Pesa. Uh, it's uh, it was like basically a mobile uh, facilitated bank, right? And uh, it's everything you said is uh, because a lot of uh, Africans don't have, or a lot of at the time Kenyans didn't have bank accounts. They're they're mediating credit uh analysis via the phone it's like if you are paying your phone bill on time it's highly likely that you'll pay a loan on that's time, it right? like they're seeing all your emails and everything so they, they get more access i could do a quick screen share here and you could just uh show it but um or well, we'll talk through it too for people that are listening but uh shopify is doing this obviously with um oh yeah with lending they got they got shopify yeah. Oh, snap. Oh, that's sick. So you literally press this and then in an hour's time, it's in your bank account and you remit your sales until you've you know covered the balance and you pay some filthy APR on it, obviously. But for people that work physical product and they need to buy inventory and you're in a bind, maybe you know you just started a shop from nothing and you figured something out on the internet. You don't have, you don't qualify for capital in the traditional sense, but you have tapped into something that's working all of these platforms, and that's that's super smart, Trung, what you're talking about, Dorsey doing this for culture. This is uh, like people getting into the money lending business that have a different level of insight into the customer, right? Well, I can, I can speak, I, ClearBank specifically does this, right? They lend, they, it's, not, it's not even, they don't even lend money. It's revenue share agreement. So I actually had right. the chance to interview the founders and yeah, they talked through specifically, right? It's like, I, I, cause I made a mistake. I go in there. How do you think about this as a lending versus equity? You know, that is like, first of all, it's not lending, right? It's like, it's a revenue share agreement. We're going to give you, we understand e-commerce so well, we're willing to give your Jack uh, Butcher's hat company a million dollars. Cause we know how well this hat product will sell. And we take 10% of each sale until we're paid back. They say they cap themselves at 7% of the sale, but that's actually being disputed. But they took that exact model. So clear banks, actually they, they rebranded to clear. Uh, they don't want to be known just as a bank. They also do it for SaaS businesses, right? Because SaaS has the same model. We can go, I mean, you can go so deep into this. It's a, it's a whole Amazing. new asset class. Like uh, Pipe as well, right? Pipe. Yeah, Pipe. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're taking the atomic unit of the business, which is the revenue contract. And uh, uh, Alex Danko, who works at Shopify Capital, has written extensively on this. But basically, the unlock is all the information's there. Uh, traditional banks are just not smart or quick enough to do this, right? They're moving towards that, but uh, there's just too much bureaucracy for them to kind of justify launching these new products right away. But these they're these asking startups, people to figure out the population of Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, they're hiring interns and asking them to Google the population of Canada and then not accepting the onion as a source. This is antiquated. Um, so uh, it's very smart. So uh, the, the main thought I want to say is like, what is the atomic unit 
of these kind of internet businesses, right? These, it's, it's in, for SaaS, it's this individual contract. It's this contract that you can say with pretty high confidence that you believe this customer will be with you for three years. So this contract is the atomic unit that we are going to sell off to other investors. And obviously we, we can promise them because, you know, this all goes back to the low interest rate environment. If your bank account is returning 0.03% or whatever it is now, you know, you're, you're going to buy anything to give you a return, right? You'll get any kind of product, man. We like, we're, this could be its own beast, right? So, these are the future banks, here. man. Like you said, square, like the, the reason, I mean, again, not investment advice, but reason I bought Square uh, stock myself is because I'm like, okay, these guys are nimble enough and they're, they're creating the tools, they're, technology, they're technologically savvy enough to modernize this, this antiquated industry the same way Stripe is doing in, in their own way, but they're not public yet. So there's just so many, like there's so much opportunity in this space because it's, so, it's kind of boring to most people because it's like old processes, but it's literally trillions of dollars going through the system and even a small tweak making it slightly smarter makes a huge difference so how much of an advantage is it to be plugged into twitter just ridiculous man like i don't know what the legality of that is like i don't know how much data they can share i'm assuming you mean square are you talking about square yeah like you have a basically a like a freaking hive mind that you can tap into yeah. and analyze it's like data that's coming out of people's heads in real time and you can they're definitely every trend under the sun they're gonna merge right like something is happening where and then I'll, I'll, and, the, and the, the the part i love about all this is what is the only thing that's in jack dorsey's bio bitcoin the word bitcoin right so all this there is no second. Something's happening, yeah. bro. <laughs> no Square, Twitter, the dude looks like Forget a freaking shaman. Tickers. Bitcoin, it's all coming together. It's all coming yeah. together. It all comes back to Bitcoin. Okay. I was just going to say one thing. I, I wrote this thing the other day. Um, the year is 2030. There's only two professions yes. left, Amazon and artist. And this is the same idea, right? It's like, that. obviously, that's an exaggeration shit post. But the idea that there are these just mega monopolies and then there are people that plug into those monopolies to make a living. That's like the middle is just going to get completely like destroyed. No, hundred percent, man. Uh, places that places that have interns look up populations of countries. <laughs> done, done. What a waste of human capital. Waste I don't want to hammer home the point, but think. Just, <laughs> so this email comes to me, right? And I, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you literally could have Googled this. <laughs> Bro, that, you it's the most infuriating thing. It's a, it's a power play. I'm like, you're, you're trying to flex Completely. on me by asking me to look up a useless piece of information that you could have done yourself. God, I was so mad. It's the equivalent of the Google bin that we talked about. It's like you got these Stanford grads pressing approve, disapprove on <laughs> porn yeah. ads or whatever. And it's like, come on, guys. Like At the same time, I will say that's... Just to wrap a bow on it, there is also like the 21-year-old that we've all been who thinks they know more than they do. And you kind of need to like bring them down to earth sometimes too without like demoralizing them. (laughs) So like there's a way, like maybe not bringing them like go get me coffee style, but like you need to understand the ins and outs of stuff at a level and realize like there's a lot to learn. But Googling something is clearly just like taking a piss. What what a flex, bro. What a flex. (laughs) All right, boys, let's uh, move on. But yeah, that was really interesting discussion. Jack, when you're able to share your actual ideas uh, when it 
launches or whatever, or whatever that might be. Uh, yeah, let we'll us know. We can share that again. Weeks. That'd be good. All right, cool. Um, we got a little bit of time left, so let's chat about Trung. You've been writing about this, or you're going to write about this, the longest running ad campaign ever for any brand. Um, do you want to jump straight into that, or should we yeah, talk about the right best ad it, campaigns? Like, why don't you start with that? And maybe we this can. This one see I can actually fun. share my screen on too. Go on, go for it. And the last one when I messed up. But actually, the reason why I wanted to bring this because Jack here is the real expert on advertising, and I just want to go through the history of Absolute Vodka quickly, and uh, and I want Jack and obviously Bilal to opine. You're in advertising now, so Absolute Vodka is a Swedish vodka brand. It was founded in 1879. It did not enter the U.S. market until 1979. Complete unknown. And it went to TWA, a very large advertising agency, and they're like, "Hey, listen." we need you to make a campaign for us, right? Like here is our product. <laughs> this is the product, right? It's just nothing. It's just not very, you know, it's vodka. I mean, uh, oh, at the end of the day, all calls kind of the same is it's all about the branding, right? So they go, so TWA actually comes up with a brilliant strategy. So typically when it comes to alcohol uh, uh, or uh, at that time, I know this has changed. It's like, you kind of want to talk about the taste, right? How crisp it is, how clean it is. How, there's no hangover, but TWA goes, you know what? We don't want to compete on that level because it's already such a saturated market. We're just going to do something completely different, rise above the crowd. And they're like, we're going to do our entire campaign around aesthetics and aesthetics of the bottle. And imagine being like, absolutely, you're like, okay, man, like, you are you just talk about the bottle and not about the vodka? They're like, yeah, we like the bottle. So the bottle here is what you see. This is the first absolute vodka bottle in the United States. It came out in 1979. And it's actually based on the old pharmaceutical. If you look at it, the size of it, or look at it, imagine it shrunk a bit. It looks like a, a pharmaceutical vial, right? So that's actually what it looks like. It used to be a Swedish pharmaceutical vial. So you can see the blueprint here. But frick, man, the, the ad campaign is so fucking smart. And it ended up running for 25 years. This was the first ad they ran. Absolute perfection. And it it's very simple. It's just the bottle. So they're basing this ad and they're differentiating themselves purely around the aesthetics of the bottle. What it looks like, right? They don't even talk about the vodka. The Wait, vodka can we could explain be, for people who aren't watching? Uh, like, the, Could you just yeah, describe what's so on the screen? All this, so this is the first ad for Absolute Vodka. If you're not familiar with Absolute Vodka... It's just like any other vodka. It's clear and it's like, it looks like water. But the bottle here, it just says absolute vodka on the bottle. It's clear otherwise with some text. And the ad says absolute perfection. So um, remember those two elements. Uh, a picture of the bottle uh, done in a very nice, clean way. And then the name of the brand, absolute, done in a pun. So the next, there's two words, absolute perfection. So over the next 25 years, again, this is the longest running ad campaign ever. They did 2000 versions of this ad. And by the end of it, when this product entered the US market, it had less than 3% of market share. But by the end of the campaign, 2006, I believe it had 50% of imported vodka share in America. So one ad, 25 years. You say five zero. Five zero. Oh damn! I, I don't know what it is now because the ad yeah. campaign ended in two thousand and six, and obviously liquor has become so competitive. It's always been competitive, but I just wanted to go through some of my favorite ads here that they had. Just genius. Actually, the one that blew it up is uh, is you guys will laugh is, but I think Jack will appreciate this. So, and well, both of you will. The ad that blew it up uh, was Andy Warhol. So they positioned it as, let's just talk about the aesthetics of the bottle. 
And Andy Warhol is like, wow, this is a really smart idea. And the bottle is actually kind of nice. So Andy Warhol goes, can I make a version of this bottle? And he painted it. So here's the painting of Andy Warhol's version of Absolute Vodka. He did this in 1985. So this is four years after that original ad campaign that I mentioned. But this is when it really took off because Warhol turned this simple idea into art now, right? And after he did Sound it- Sound familiar? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here we go. Here are some amazing versions of, uh, of this ad. The ones that really took off is they just did this shape for local geographies, right? So they did Absolute LA and the bottle is the shape of a swimming pool. And then they did- um, uh, this is a great one. Absolute Chicago. The bottle's blowing away because Chicago is a windy city. This one's amazing, though. They had uh, absolute... Oh, this one's genius. Absolute New Orleans, the jazz festival, right? That's really and incredible. Really smart. Check out Absolute Paris in the shape of the the metro. And then here's, a, here's an amazing one. This one was really good. Absolute Texas. And you guys will love this. Check out what the bottle looks like. <laughs> yeah, everything's bigger in Texas. That's so it's, brilliant. It's the absolute yeah. bottle, but blown up. The last thing I'll add before I throw it to you guys is, to me, like nothing uh, is really culturally relevant uh, until it gets parodied. You know, if, so, if SNL makes fun of it, it matters, right? Or yeah. if somebody really like a viral joke comes about it, it really matters. This This ad is hilarious. Somebody did absolute impotence. That's brilliant. And the bottle is just shriveled up. Basically, that's what happens when you drink alcohol anyways. <laughs> the most so, accurate version so far. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to throw it to you guys. Summarize, Absolute went from less than 3% market share to 50% market share using basically one ad campaign, only print. And it was only about the bottle, not about taste. They didn't bring celebs into it. They didn't bring models. It was just like... It was just the bottle. So let me throw it to you guys. Let me, let's throw it to Jack first because this is his, this is where uh, his area of expertise. Jack, I want you to opine on their strategy here. All right. So a couple of things. The first one, I'm going to constraint. Their ability to use constraint is incredible, right? We talked about this a lot. The idea that you construct something that can build equity and people that stick at something long enough to build equity versus, hey, we've got this 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 campaign out in the market for three months, and then we're going to hire a new agency. We're going to start over again. There's this intangible equity that exists in everybody who's ever seen that ad's head that you throw away every time you hit the drawing right. board. And like that's, I think a um, I have a friend. He said, "Great advertising wears in, not out." And a lot of people just don't stick with something long enough to start to realize it, the compound benefit. It wears in. It doesn't wear. Oh, oh, I see. You're saying, so the long. It's more. It's the Lindy effect, right? The longer it's there, the right. more value it'll accrue. Okay. And that, like, the construct that they have is like they're basically. It's so simple, but it's like it has this like. I was thinking about this the other day. The idea of like a barnacle that can ride on a whale. So you have this really simple thing, absolute. And then you can attach yourself to basically any aspect of culture, be that like a place, an event, a uh, like a movement, an artist. Absolute is is iconic enough that it will stand on its own, but it's also broad enough that you can uh, 
you know, it, it's a prefix that makes sense pretty much to anything. And it has well, let this me, like, let me, let me, to your exact point, let me show you one that nails your point exactly. Check out this. So yoga takes off early 2000s. Look what Absolute does. Just flips its model upside down. It's it, barnacle. It's instantly Absolute recognizable. Yoga. Yeah, yeah. Absolute yoga. Genius, right? Brilliant. It's incredible. I think the, like the simplicity of it and people's inability to stick with simplicity because it kind of, you walk into a room and you present something like that. You can't talk about it for an hour. You either get it or you don't. Right. And it's like this moment where you don't need 50 slides to go in and say why we're doing this. It's like, you just show the creative, let the work speak for itself. Um, And I think the speed of culture now, people expect uh, a degree of, um, you expect it to blow up on the first try, for example, right? Uh, And something I've learned personally with even the, like on a tiny scale, visualized value, black and white graphics, you put it out for so long and it's like, yeah, this is kind of working, it's kind of working, but then months and years into it the record like the amount of equity that just exists intangibly it's like you see you could see a shadow of that bottle at this point and you'd know that that's the um that, that's the brand it represents right and jack with your stuff it's like i've seen people crop your image and basically use it as their own maybe not by purpose sometimes i don't know but there'll be literally people in the comments being like this is visualized value or this looks like visualized value. Right. This is that style. And it's like you said, it's the rep- repetition of by now, literally millions and millions, tens of millions of impressions, maybe more. I, I don't know the numbers, but Dude, just, the one that you have where potential, like where you are versus the potential, like somebody has that. Pointless? Is that yeah, one? This is pointless. Is that your most popular one? I think so. Yeah. 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 Just, like the, the, this is what we talked about before. It's like they're memes. Like advertise, great advertising is a meme. And you talked about strong in the last, what was it? The atomic unit of value in a business. Yeah. This is like the atomic unit of culture. That's what a meme is, right? It's like, how do you really distill this? You go into all these like niches of culture and that yoga one is a great example. Texas is a great example. Uh, just trying to think of another brand that's done it that well. I was thinking like Master, you know better, but like Mastercard Priceless, was that them? Oh yeah, because forever they would say Priceless. That that is Mastercard Priceless because that can be anything, right? And that's been parodied a million times. Yeah, completely. And it's just, it always works, but by this point it's probably worn out and they've probably changed. But then the other one that comes to mind, I forgot which beer brand in the UK, maybe Carlsberg, was it Carlsberg? uh, They would always set it up with like, uh, you might remember better than I do because the I, world's isn't it the best the best uh, Carlsberg don't make X but if they did they'd be the best X in the world exactly really that, and that whole concept they can go wild with it they can just do like the best like horse show and it's like completely random like most alcohol brands ads are like what the hell's going on but it's a mini little story it's catching your attention and then you're like oh yeah of course that ongoing joke or ongoing meme essentially message come straight through again i've got to give credit to my first boss probably for planting this idea in my head he wrote the world's local bank you know that hsbc ad oh he did that he did that that. that's That's yeah he wrote that that's so famous dude and art directed it so i was in airports for 20 years or something and we talked about another example yeah yeah they they, Um, uh they could did he ask you when you worked for him 
Did did he ask you to ever look up the population of random countries? <laughs> no, no. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's uh, where I escaped that. But the the idea that that construct can layer over anything. It's, I mean, it's just a sick idea, man. The world's local bank. You could just do it. You could put it over anything, and you capture like the affinity that somebody has for this thing and associate yourself with it. Just incredible. Well, that absolute, right? That the geography is like, they can literally do any locale and then get the cachet of that locale. I just, I wanted to add a point uh, from what you just said is because of how fast everything's moving. It's just so valuable to have that, the brand, right? And, uh, but to your point is like, you're actually fighting against the human intuition of always wanting novelty. So the ability to stick to like, for example, I, I'm sure you've heard too, is like, oh, I, have people told you, man, I, I like visualized value, great first hundred times I saw, but now I think it's getting old, but it's like, it's actually not getting old, right? It's like, it's harder for you to stick with it actually than to try something new, right? Like uh, you probably point, constantly yeah. wanting to try something new, but like, you know what? There's just so much brand equity here. It's like, why throw it away? You're fighting that. Yeah, like, can you imagine Nike, changing their tagline it would be the yeah. most moronic thing ever 100 percent. oh well, that's my god the, Amazing. that's the beauty of it. like they they have something that's timeless but then every little story is like can fit around that one ongoing yeah. like message essentially the the like the word for it in a you know an advertising war room would be the big idea so it's like this thing that is specific enough to represent the brand but you can also throw so much stuff at it that it captures the intrigue and interest of so many different people without like diluting the strength of the message. Um, and like, you know, you sit in a room for four weeks to come up with one sentence or like one device that does, uh, that performs that function. And what happens is it's basically entropy, right? And, and ego that comes in where it's like, say uh, a creative team ages out, it's like no one wants to come in and work on something that somebody else came up with, right? Everyone's right. like chest beating, like I can come up with a better idea than this. And that was one of the most frustrating things about working in advertising is like, is people working to impress other advertisers with new ideas at like, f you know, festivals that people, it's the Forbes thing, right? Advertisers giving other advertisers an award has nothing to do with the impact that the ad had on the business because you haven't even waited long enough to figure out if it works, That's right? It's like somebody point. launched this ad. It's like, oh, it's cool. It's cinematic. It's funny. It's great. We'll give it an award. But what long-term impact did it have on the business? You, you haven't even waited long enough to measure that. That's what I love about the absolute ad, right? It's like the beauty of it is, hey, you don't have to be like, hey, did this work? It's like, no, no, we know it worked because it did it for 25 years, right? If it didn't work, they wouldn't have done it for 25 years. Whereas the ones you're talking about, they're giving these awards for something that's been out for three, four months. It's like, how can you possibly know after three months that this has quote unquote worked? Yeah, I finished a blog post just before we got on this call about, I just flicked open, uh, my father-in-law's in town. I was looking, I was reading Ogilvy on advertising with him yesterday. Amazing. And uh, there's this one page ad that was written for how to win friends and influence people one page it sold three million copies of that book a one page ad and you think about like they just nailed the story on the first one you know there's loads of revisions that went into it but it was the perfect depiction of that thing 
if they'd have written a new ad every week, it would just be like the stupidest thing in the world to abandon that. And the reason people do it is, you know, disconnect between, you know, why you're performing this function. It's like, are you a designer or an art director that wants to put new work in your portfolio? Or are you a, you know, a partner to a business that has an objective and you've figured out how to, basically you need to figure out where else to put this ad. That's your job at that point, not how to reinvent the ad. I think uh, my big takeaway from this is actually listening to you talk about it is, man, it's just so hard to just keep doing what is working, right? It's actually, it's actually harder in a lot of ways than doing something new, which just speaks to, I mean, yeah, that, that's the positive though, because if it's the harder thing, that probably is the path that you should be going, right? It's fucking hard, man, just to not want to do new stuff all the time. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've, and you convince yourself sometimes where it's like, oh, I need to, you know, out innovate myself or do, it's like, like, you're talking nonsense. Like this works. <laughs> Just keep doing it, man. There's a, there's, it's go back to our, one of our first episode, the Alex Cohen thing. It's like, you found this thing that works. Why are you pivoting? There's 4 billion people on the internet. Even a 0.0001% of that group is enough to you know sustain your family for generations if you We're figure it out. We're talking about the one what if one person buys it a market? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but can you can you talk to that idea just super quickly just for the listeners that didn't hear it? So we, we were talking about merch early on on my I don't know episode three or four with uh, guest Alex Cohen and he had this little heuristic where he said if you can sell one of something you could sell a million dollars of it if you're a business that has access to the internet which I think is a fairly you know I I tend to agree with that, but it is this idea of working on the wrong thing versus like articulating the story that sells it and then being really creative about where you place that story and how you bring new people into the ecosystem. Uh, it's, a pretty, uh, it's a pretty difficult mental model to just keep hammering away at doing the same thing if you have a relative, uh, like a little bit of success with it. Like Trung, if you basically change your Twitter strategy tomorrow, it would be the dumbest thing in the world, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You just come out already. You go think boy, you just completely reverse it. It's like, what's this? No shit post. <laughs> yeah. No more but shit actually, Well, I will add though, and I, I agree with both of what you guys have said. The only thing is there comes to a certain point where you hit a certain scale where there's a reinvention that happens. That doesn't mean abandoning what's working though. I think there's a difference. And to a lot, like, I think music's, again, quite a good example. How, like, Kanye West literally made a whole skit called I Miss the Old Kanye, yeah? And the reason is, anyone who loves Kanye West, loves college dropout, you hear it come on, and yeah, you're like, yeah. all falls down, this is the best thing ever. And now he's mumbling about, like, poop diddy scoop. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you're like, what happened to the old Kanye? He's gone crazy or whatever, right? And, and so it's obviously not the same as selling a thousand or a million hats, or million dollars worth of hats. Um, but I think there's that kind of like tension between like the person creating essentially, whether and it depends on what they want out of it. So if your objective is to keep growing Trunk's Twitter, then then th to keep doing what you're for doing. Sure. But if Trung was like, actually, I write on Twitter because it's a creative expression for me and I like to ship posts and I like to do this. And now 10 years later, song. exactly. <laughs> like then maybe that changes. But in terms of like, if the objective is to keep growing, keep selling stuff, yeah, it definitely makes sense. But I think the creative side, like there's something intangible there that you can't always kind of measure in the same way. That's a great point. That's a great point. I think like that's what, that's why the 
absolute campaign had to end at a certain point because it's been through, burned through so many creative teams to the point where they're like, we don't want to work on this anymore, right? This has been done. Like, let's reinvent the thing. And uh, yeah, like at a certain point, you run out of creative energy to keep doing the same That's thing. That's actually, I was thinking, I was looking up why the end of I'm like, man, why would you stop something so bread? But I think you just gave the answer. It's like, I think the people working on it is like, I don't want to... It might not even have been the right answer. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) it goes back to the human psychology, the need for novelty, right? It might have even been the wrong move for them to do. But it's just like, people are like, we're done. Nobody wants to do it anymore. I was just going to say, it changes hands too, right? The people who came up with that ad aren't running absolute. The people that bought the ad at Absolute aren't there anymore. The people that worked at the agency that came up with the ad aren't there anymore would have changed hands multiple, multiple times for it to have even survived 25 years. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, last thing I was going to say on that is that it definitely makes sense from the ad side and messaging and the kind of like the creative part. But again, if you think of it from another angle as like technologists creating stuff, of course, like if it was just always like do the thing that's already working, then every company would have been bankrupted already. Like IBM is no longer the IBM it used to be. And, uh, you know, Apple, Google, all the fam companies, whatever, they had to keep finding new areas that worked. And, and that's like a different angle to look at it from. I don't know. You oh, could, that's you true. Could, yeah. No, you could saying. argue though, you could argue though that maybe they, they got in a habit of learning what works, which is in simple terms, creating stuff that people want, which is obviously like oversimplification, but like, and then they did that in a new area, like, Oh, mobile is taken off. Now we're going to create Android. We're going to create an iPhone, et cetera. But I don't know. I, th- I think the timelessness of advertising is quite a specific lens. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, this, and is, product, this is not a generalized product. lesson. Yeah, it's not a physical general. product as well. Like absolute vodka. It's like until people stop drinking alcohol, alcohol becomes this you know unfashionable thing to consume. Why pivot? But yeah, if you're a technology company and there's like a trillion other people like trying to build what you're building or compete for your market share or like Porsche. You know, people that have these like iconic products that have iconic campaigns to support them, like some businesses actually suffer from like innovating and others like can't live without it. It's pretty, it's a pretty interesting. No, I think the takeaway is let's not, I think I was generalizing way too much industry specific. So this makes sense. They shouldn't have stopped it. Uh, I, I don't know if they got any better. I don't remember anything from absolute sense. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Wanted uh, Jack's lens on it. One other thing is like the the mediums in which that would have been displayed. So when did they discontinue it? You say something? Two thousand six. Oh right, it's only it was print only. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. A print only thing. It was so print, print is just like not a thing anymore. And print is like the golden age of advertising for anybody that's like you know a student of advertising. You look at like. I got some over there. It's all like Porsche ads yeah. on the floor and like VW ads. It's like, it's a different art form. Amazing. Well, I think you just answered it. Uh, I think people got tired and print was kind of going the way they do do. And this is a pure print ad campaign. Beautiful. I just want to say real quick that hearing, uh, thanks for the summary trunk and Jack, hearing you talk about advertising is pretty cool. We should do it's it. It's amazing, often. man. We should do that. We, we could, we could make this a thing where we just pull up amazing campaigns. Yeah. Well, my favorite thing is when you speak to Jack, in normal like you know texting or what in group chats or whatever or even just speaking 
he'll bring up font all the time. Like he'll be like, oh yeah, that's sans serif, <laughs> like whatever, like wingdings. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that is, he's just like, that's how he sees the world in some ways. And and I'm just sitting there like, oh yeah, I can kind of see what he's, when he says it, I'm like, oh yeah, impact 32, bold. You know what I mean? But like the way <laughs> he's just seeing it on a screen, like it's Figma or something and he's selecting it. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, we should wait, make some print got... ads for not investment advice. Yeah. Oh, that would be actually really oh my God, that'd fun be to do. Like some yeah, old school should. ones. Vintage ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of cover art is basically that, but you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a really good, good chat, boys. I mean, I think we've got time probably for one last quick session uh section how you doing trunk uh actually if you want to go into the reader q a that unless you yeah, wanted yeah. to really the talk. main one was really so we got two main things there. let's see how much we get so this has been asked several times since and jack i don't know if you can share your screen uh but people have asked about merch um merch update um for nia i don't know if we'll we'll have anything we can share or at oh least uh, a status update our status update is we're um, maybe we'll run some some Twitter polls on uh, mm. on what we should make. I'll get some visuals together. My my uh, organization is not the best here, so that's uh, right. I'll be I'll be showing a few of the wrong things on the way there. But um, <laughs> we'll run a few polls and we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see what people want, and I'll whack it in the comments too. Hats, shirts. What else we got? Uh, visors. Denim visors. Yo, dude. <laughs> denim visors. Yo, can we pull up a can we pull up a quick image of the denim visor? Man, where let me see if I've got it. Yeah, take your time. I'm gonna have to put it together a couple of slides for next time. Then we'll vote on them in the comments. All right, perfect. All right, beautiful. All right, cool. Um, next one we got is from Joe Wolfcastle. He said, love to hear your top three news sources. This is ready for Jack Redpill. Um <laughs> And that means no, not but not BBC, not CNBC, but places you go to find edge of the internet shiz. Bro, we might have to bleep these out if we don't want to get demonetized. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually one last thing to Addy say, could be specific people on Twitter, individual threads, and it doesn't have to be free, like whatever comes to you mind. Know, I want Jack to open, because Jack's got some stuff going on. Jack's got some crazy well, feed. we do it every week. We say it, man. Balaji, follow Balaji. He's five years ahead. And then uh, I have not typed in a news website into my browser for years at this point. Like I told you, boys, I used to be a zero hedge. Not nah. like in 2019, <laughs> I'm reading the comment section in zero hedge. And it's like, that's just not a healthy <laughs> habit to develop. I just, just I'll put Wait, I'll put what is zero way. hedge for people who don't know what it is? So basically, I don't think there's any original publishing on there, but it's uh, like an aggregator of basically doomsday narrative news. So the the tagline for Zero Hedge is, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everything is zero. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that why you also say recovering pessimist? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're recovering exactly. pessimist. So I had to get rid of that. I had to get rid of that out of my uh so i'll just read you a few um i'll just read you a few headlines that are on zero hedge today oh maybe it's, it's actually not that crazy but the comments are um the comments are where it goes down um fbi ridicule for seizing man's lego set of u.s capital grocery stores are masking price hikes via shrinkflation 
Shrinkflation. What the Americans fuck? see the raging housing mania. Bad time to buy and good time to sell. Sentiment spiked to WTF record. Uh, two more Chinese firms pull US IPO plans amid fallout from DD disaster. Maybe you can do that one next week, Trung, the DD. Yeah, we could talk story. about that. It, yeah, let's do that one. I just want to summarize. So I don't want to lose the thread here. We need to get Jack back on it. Zero Hedge, Balaji. Just keep keep firing them off, buddy. What else? Uh, well, what Bala- else? And then the rest is Twitter, I think. So all of the edge of the internet stuff and the like, you know, how you find an NFT project or um, just, I think you got to be a little bit careful as well because you can really start to, um, you really start to curate your own rabbit hole, right? Like when I got into the NFT stuff, my, my feed when before I was, actually when I was first selling NFTs, my feed had pretty much zero NFT content in it. And it was just like this foray into this new world. And then I realized, oh man, there's this whole community and there's people that have been doing this for four or five years. Let me jump in and follow some of the, top people in that world and then you just like, you just build another little echo chamber and now i feel like my feed is tilted from you know, before it was probably more like creator economy and inverted commas and technology investing and then i went crypto heavy and it's probably 60 40 that way now and then that just like manifests itself in your behavior almost instantly in the same way that if you read cnn every day you have a certain political outlook because you're you know, you're just fire hosing stories that, that have a specific lens. And it's really difficult to, I think it's incredibly difficult to, to curate a balanced feed, right? Especially something like Twitter, where it's like everybody is trying to maximize engagement. So I think Balaji is a good follow because he, to me, he feels pretty objective and maybe not even objective. He's obviously opinionated, but uh, you can kind of follow the the line of reasoning or the logic and there's yeah. sources cited and there's years of content going back. He's got like an academic background as well as like a technologist operator background. So I think that's a good mix where a lot of academic people can be way just in the weeds overcomplicating. But the, the, the plus side to that world is you're supposed to at least have a a method to the madness and you do, you check the references, you read the journals, all that stuff. So I think he's got like that big mega brain ability to do both, uh, which is quite rare. Did you have a specific yeah. NFT follows Jack or is it just more like, um, I have to have a list. Like a lot of the, um, there's this one guy who has, I think it's punk four, one, five, six. And that's the crypto punk that he owns. It's a, it's a gorilla with a bandana on it. Amazing. And uh, uh, he, I assume it's a he, based on the language he's using, DMs back and forth for me. But um, the, yeah, just really like smart takes on the space and the future of NFTs and people that have been in it for years and years. Who else is doing great things now? I think I'd have to, um, have, to have, to, have to come back with a... Roham, uh, Roham, the the CEO of NBA uh, Dapper Labs, which is NBA Top Shop, is probably a good follow too because he's he is recognized as one of the quote unquote leaders or recognizable figures in this movement. So he's often retweeting, you know, like people. I've actually followed a lot of his retweets as a way to Jack's point of trying to catch on to kind of edge of internet stuff. So I think that could be a potential recommendation. I think he's at Roham G. Mm. I think that's his handle. Um, Jack, yeah, I, I'm not super edge of the internet. 
Yeah, I, I think maybe Twitter lists. I need to get maybe more into that. Like if we we should do lists for not investment advice, maybe like just do a oh, couple. Oh yeah, that's a great call. And have people follow them and we'll, anything we mention, maybe we, we bang onto those lists. That's a great call. Follow I like along. that. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the lists. I'm trying to see who Roham actually, Roham at Roham G has, I don't know if this is what you just said, but uh, a list called Crypto Artists. Oh. which I, mm. which is really, Smart. he's already curated that. Um, uh, yeah, really I'm thinking that's probably, that. I have yeah. a few personal ones that I have, but they're like kind of old. I don't, I should use list more. I have the same thing with Jack where now my feed is annoyingly, to be honest, because it's too much. I need to like reel it back in. It's like all I, I don't see anyone's pictures anymore. It's only like board apes and like <laughs> it's a bunch of NFTs, which is, which is fun. But I also just want like a, a blend of like some news, some humans. Insights. You just want humans? I want real yeah. people. It, like real humans as well. But like, I, yeah, I want a, a mix. So I think I might, I'm going to have to do a reorganization soon and like not mm. unfollow that many people because I don't actually follow that many people as it is, but just like maybe put them into lists. And stuff like that because otherwise I mean, it just gets people is kind a, of crazy following people on twitter is kind of a crazy commitment the more i think about it it's like a, it's a mad thing like i'm allowing somebody to just throw out some nonsense right and access. plant it in my skull forever <laughs> you know what i mean it's just a crazy thought and we've been doing it forever you know reading a newspaper or whatever is the same idea or reading a book but just the volume of crap oh my goodness it's just hume. Well, here, we're talking about Balaji. He was just on uh, the Invest Like the Best podcast, and he's been talking about it a bit more. It's just like the information diet, right? He's like, the last point I'll leave on this is, he's like, you can measure now with Whoop or Apple Watch, like, you know, your glucose levels. I don't, you can't do that with Apple Watch, but there's items now where you can measure when you eat. Yeah, levels does glucose. Yeah, levels does that. You see how your glucose spikes. And he's like, we're not that far away from measuring how our stress level spikes uh uh our cortisol is like a stress chemical by yeah. what we read and what we see right so you could put something on your arm uh test yourself over a day of what you're consuming and then every time you stress or spike because the whole point of a lot of media you know if it bleeds it leads they're trying to engage you by frankly triggering you it's like okay every time i open the times i get triggered i'm gonna stop following the times it's just like for your own health right and uh, I mean, it's such a great idea and concept about your media diet is almost going to be the exact same as how it's perceived about how you ingest food, right? It's like how much protein, like my diet should be 60% protein, 20% carbs, 20% fat, right? Like you should have the exact same approach mentally to like zero hedge should be 1% of your media diet. <laughs> it should be 0%, man. Zero hedge is the smoking of media diets. Yeah, totally, bro. Um <laughs> Wait, Trunk, what about you though? Because you, you're playing it down, but we talked a little bit about Reddit in the past, which people can go back to, but you find the craziest stuff too. So yeah, like you're true. reading a crazy I mean, amount. You're so writing get, about it every day too. I'll actually tell you like how a lot of it happens is, so just my daily, so I write for the Hustle Business Tech Newsletter, daily newsletter. So my daily diet is like, I'll wake up, I'm subscribed to like 10 newsletters, but then I'll, I'll read Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, New York Times. Like a lot of people do it, right? But, but like, what I'll about the newsletters? What, which newsletters do you like? Uh, Bern Hobart is my favorite. He's the diff. He's really, really good writer uh, on technology and finance. Just the, the volume and the analysis level is insane. Uh, he's paid a Substack, the diff uh, dot Substack. Uh, Matt Levine at Bloomberg. 
does money stuff. I think a lot of people know him, but he's free and he just does super long form writing about finance. Uh, but he has a, he's a, I think Harvard lit major he used to be a professor. So he's like really uh, writes it in a, a, a humorous and uh, he has a lot of style. So he's uh, very well liked in the, in the community. And then uh, Casey Noon, a former Verge reporter, he's great on tech, but yeah. So like tons of tech newsletters and then all the main publications, but what sends me down the rabbit holes is especially I find uh, wall street journal and the economists have the best anecdotes. Like they'll tell you, a news story that's happening now that you should know about, but then tie it back to something from like the economist is by far the best. If you ever read the economist, you'll probably see and note how they open and close articles with a cultural reference or historical reference. And that's what sent me down rabbit holes. So they'll talk about big tech and then mention some cultural thing that happened. And I'll go look at that cultural thing. Right. So I think that is the answer to what my media diet is. And I just get set down a lot of rabbit holes. It's actually not a lot of starting on Twitter and Reddit. It's starting with these other things. Googling. By the way, Economist has one of the greatest ad campaigns ever, too. They're incredible. Have you seen the ads for The Economist? With, uh, the one where, uh, which campaign are you referring to? I have seen them. There's, um, there's I mean, they've just had this incredible um, constraint on their ads for so long. Uh, you know, the red and white boards, it's just a headline. Mm. Oh, have you seen these before? Can you show it? Do you want to share your screen? screen? If you, yeah, if you yeah, I'll share my screen. I'll read a few of them. But but they've been they've just been killing the the ad game for a long time. So check this out. This is a, a pull quote. It says, "I never read The Economist." Management trainee, age forty two. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. That's, Lose the ability to slip out of meetings unnoticed. It's real, like really clever advertising. Not all mind expanding substances are illegal. What's this? Uh, what's this pissed off one? Go up. Well, yeah. What's the pissed off one? That was caught my. There's so many. The Economist blogger, pissed me off. Blogger and communication expert, age thirty-seven. Oh so my that's so, brilliant! This has been parodied so many times that I don't even. I can't even tell which ones are the official ads oh, and yeah. which ones aren't. This is a that's great fair. one. Um, you won't maybe not get this one, Trung. You'll get it, Bilal. Somebody mentions Jordan. You think of a Middle Eastern country with a three point three percent growth rate. So Jordan was the name of a glamour model in the UK. And, uh, you know, that she just went by this one, just Jordan. I would Google it, but maybe Katie inappropriate. Price, right? Katie oh Price, Oh my yeah. God. Oh, but, but when you see it, because you're so educated by the economy, so you think about the Middle Eastern mm. country. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. It's, it's really strong. Um, we, we, I think we have more. to do a ad campaign of the week for each podcast. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, there's so many. The subscription list brilliant. most wanted by assassins. Oh, <laughs> That's got it, dude. That's got to be, that's got to be a uh, parody, right? Uh, maybe. I, I honestly, uh, I, it's hard to tell. Uh, but may, well, I used to work at Bloomberg, and this was like one of our like go-to North inspiration. Star. Yeah, just class, just class. The only thing I was gonna say is, yeah, I just second what you said. I've like spent a lot of time on Twitter and all that, but like the best stuff is basically newsletters by this point for me as well. Because yeah. especially, honestly, the crypto stuff, like I'd say my diet is... I'll pump. Pr- yeah, there's there's the, the newsletters. I listen to a lot as well, though. You know what I mean? So, like, I can take in a lot more through audio than reading. And I just get more time to do that. So, YouTube, I spend a lot of time going down rabbit holes there, too. I would need to look at some of them. None of them are really... 
uh, one say I'd say for like crypto stuff though is obviously Pomp. We know the one. I mean, I love Pomp. He's great. It's very Bitcoin heavy, obviously, and you kind of know the angle. But he does a great job every day. That that's great. Um, and then there's uh, the Bankless guys do a pretty good job of all the other stuff within the ecosystem. A lot of it's more like Ethereum related. There's a guy called Anthony something. I can look him up. Uh, who does a daily thing on Ethereum too? Sasano. Sasano, yeah, he does. Again, he's kind of like obviously biased as well. Uh, there's some like chart people I follow. Like uh, I forgot what it called, but they do like technical, uh, not investment advice charts. <laughs> um, and then there's obviously like I have to say like Polina's, um, who's Polina's uh, got the profile. She does a really clean job of just like summarizing and like really digestible stuff so i i read her stuff i also love drew riley's trends.vc yeah, like drew he's a he is a machine he's a ledge incredible yeah and uh he's yeah he's done stuff with both of us he's been on my podcast he's done stuff with visualized value too right and he's just a great thinker man like he's just so smart he can just take in so much and simplify it uh, and he does there's a free version and there's a paid version of that i do subscribe still uh the trends.co as well which is um the hustles newsletter which is which is still pretty good um yeah there's there's plenty of newsletters i'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of heard of some of these but um the podcast side is where i normally find like rabbit hole stuff or youtube you just kind of end up down rabbit holes but it's normally like on youtube it's a specific query i'm like trying to figure something out and and then i find like sources through that so uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of me as well. That, and the Economist, I'll back that as well, man. The Economist is like the one of the few traditional media companies that I've just always like. I've read it since I was like sixteen. Had it delivered? You read it on a Sunday, like it's it's uh, it's always really. High There's a quality. couple of things about the Economist which are actually brilliant, right? They don't do bylines. Uh, you don't know who the author of an article is. Uh, it's because they want one. Like they're like you're working for the Economist, right? This is the brand. Yeah. Wow, so the unusual. Bylines, that actually, that 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 it's cracking a bit because they know what they understand now. What's happening with individual journalists? I think they started allowing on the digital platform people's names because it's like if you're the best of the best now, like you're like you know what, I want some equity for myself, so I want my name there. But thing, uh, the other thing I want to say about the Economist, which makes it so genius, is it actually is the one of the best ways to save time if you care about the world. It's just like these you you can trust them to digest all this information and present to you in a three and a half to four hour read is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big read every week, but there's a time when all I read was the economist cover to cover. And it didn't really read anything else. Cause I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be in the daily news cycle. I'm just going to trust them to do it. Obviously you don't want to hand over the complete, like Jack says, the read uh, uh, function to somebody or the right function to somebody else in your brain, but they're pretty good. They've, they've gone, uh, they haven't been as quote unquote woke as a lot of these other media publications have. But the other thing I like about them is, um, yeah, man, they keep it, the, the compression. But the other thing about them is a lot of game theory. You know that every other major business operator and executive is reading them. So mm. you need kind of to read them just to have that, that same base, base layer. Yeah, the base layer understanding and the common language. So the fact that they could do that, like they became that in a lot of ways is just for them is what a moat that is for a business, right? It's like, if you want to just, just the table stakes as an a fortune 500 executive is that it's expected that you read the fortune, uh, read the economist, right? That's great. 
That's yeah, all smart, I got. Man. Nice one, boys. Yeah, Sounds I feel like we you're reading an ad read, mate. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not sponsored by The Economist. Uh, well, cheer us up. That'd be a great sponsorship for that no investment advice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I did a partnership with them in my old job, actually. They might be, uh, if we pump it on LinkedIn a bit, they might be still seeing some of these. So, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, boys, this was fun. Um, yeah, come on, England. It's just to wrap up. we got the final. Uh, don't make it hard for us if we don't win, but I'm believing right now. And uh, yeah, if you made it all the way to this, let us know, write in the comments that you actually listened. That'll be cool for us to understand. People have been writing some cool comments in there. Uh, yep. make sure you like and subscribe on the podcast app as well on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, we'll see you next week awesome thank you thank you squad peace out guys yeah.